welcome. This is a message from Victory Church. We trust you'll be inspired and encouraged by today's message. Faith is a walk that we take one step at a time. One day you wake up and you're faithful. The next day you wake up and you're faithful. The next day you wake up. I didn't say give up. Hello. You wake up and you're faithful. You wake up and you're faithful. You wake up and you're faithful. Anyone can give up. You wake up and you're faithful. You wake up and you're faithful. I didn't say give up. I said wake up. I didn't say give up. I said wake up. And you're faithful. And then one day you're fruitful. This is the walk of faith. And a walk takes steps. And we're going to look at the steps of faith tonight. And so I want to read a great portion of Scripture. This is not a parable. This, this, is, this is an actual account of the life of Christ. Sometimes Jesus told stories and that's recorded in the Scriptures. Other times the Bible records accounts of Jesus' life. This is one of those accounts. And it's found in Mark chapter 10. If you have your Bibles, follow with me. If you don't, please follow on the screen. Thank you, Kathy Bennett. Doesn't she do an amazing job? She's awesome. <laughs> Truth be known, I would love her to play the whole time I talk, but it just probably wouldn't be fair. So I'm going to quickly get through this so I can just get you back up here real quick, which would be just awesome. Mark chapter 10, verse 46 says, Then they came to Jericho. As Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, that is the son of Timaeus. We've got Bart and Tim, got it? We're Australians, we shorten everything. Was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that Jesus of Nazareth was in town, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many... <laughs> rebuked him. You ever been rebuked? Many rebuked him and told to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said, call him. So they called to the blind man, cheer up on your feet. He's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and he came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, said Jesus, your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and he followed Jesus along the road. I love this story. I've preached out this story a number of times over the years and I, I never cease to lose a passion for it. But tonight we're going to look at the steps of faith. There's four steps that I want to look at and I hope that in sharing it will increase your faith and help you get into a new realm of faith tonight. The first step that I believe faith requires or where, where faith starts is in desire. Everyone say desire. See that in verse 47. Faith requires desire. We have to desire something before faith can come into play. In Mark chapter 11, verse 24, it says, Therefore I say unto you, whatever things you so desire when you pray, believe that you have received and you shall receive them. 
Desire is something that we are hoping for. It's, it means to ask. It means to beg. It means to call for. In other words, it's not passive. And it can actually be very, very violent at times. Our desire for important issues should be red hot. Our desire for important issues should be red hot. Christianity is not a lukewarm cool-hearted religion. Christianity by nature should be and must be red hot. It should be full of passion and it should be full of zeal. We see in this account, there was a man by the name of Bartimaeus and when he heard that Jesus was in town, he got a little bit excited and the Bible says that he began to shout. That's what passion will do. When there's a desire, you won't just take no for an answer. The Bible says that people rebuked him. Be quiet. Who do you think you are? And he shouted all the more. You know, I'm convinced that sometimes our prayers don't get answered immediately because God wants to know whether we really desire something. I remember when we were umming and ahhing about having child number three. We had two incredible kids. We had them quite close together. They were beautiful. They were wonderful, but they were a handful. And, and we found grace to raise those two. And, and number three, the thought of having number three got put on hold. And uh, we got number one and number two out of nappies and we, and we got them through the toddler stages. And, and, uh, and then we thought, gee, this is good. This is fun. This, this, we're free again. This is fantastic. And all of a sudden, the, the thought of having number three just kind of put, got put on the back burner. People often ask, why is there a gap between Mitchell and BJ? And I say, the answer is obvious. It's because of Mitchell there was a gap. <laughs> And then we did, we, we enjoyed the, the space and we enjoyed no nappies and we enjoyed, you know, sleeping through the night and it was just awesome. Is anyone in that phase where they're just looking for that day? And six years, five years went by and we said, well, are we going to have number three or not? And we thought, yeah, yeah, number three would be great. But you know what? No nappies is also great. Um... Sleeping through the night, that's brilliant, love that. And we ummed and we ahed. And, and, and then Kath you know, came up with this brilliant word from the Lord and we, and we felt, you know what, um, we're going we're to try for number three. And, and in the past, what you need to understand is with number one and two, instant pregnancies, no problem. And so we were like, okay, cool. And I never forget, you know, Kath coming off the contraception and, and, and guy and girl doing what they do in order to get pregnant. And I never forget... The first night that there was no protection and, 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 and this, this, was, this was the moment, this was the moment, this, listen to me, listen to me. <laughs> Have I got your attention? Look at you. She talked more about my love life. I've got everyone's attention except Mitchell and Jordan. They're just cringing right now. How you doing, Mitchell, right? And I never forget um, dread coming on me like, what have we done? Number three is on its way. Oh my goodness, no, he couldn't take it back. It's done and dusted. <laughs> We're a pretty open church here. 
If you're visiting, you're welcome. <laughs> and so I'm thinking, based on the past, instant pregnancies, oh, well, oh, we can't reverse this. Oh, is this we, do we really do the right thing? Should we have done that? Oh, my God, another night. Nights. Oh, the nights and the sleep and the nappies and the poo and the washing. Oh, my, the spew. Oh, my God. I mean, there's not a lot of return for babies. Have you noticed that? Babies. They're oh, so cute and they just don't do anything. <laughs> they sit there and do nothing. If they do anything, they're crying. You pick them up to stop them crying, they spew on you. Like, like, there's not a big return. So what have we done? And a month goes by and, wow, not pregnant. I'm thinking, is this a case of, a classic case of crushed testicles, I don't know, I'm just like, <laughs> sorry. And then, then I'm thinking, you're not pregnant. <sighs> We're off the hook. But the desire for number three was growing. And in the waiting, and I think we waited probably three or four months to get pregnant that second, uh, that third time around, by the time we knew that Kath was pregnant, it was like an absolute, I want this child. And I've let, it taught me something. And I'm so glad that God hasn't always answered my prayers in the affirmative immediately. Because in the waiting, you get a greater desire and you get a greater hunger. And you start to realize what's most important and what you really want in life. One of my biggest concerns is with the younger generation, they get everything too soon. They just get everything too soon and they don't appreciate anything. And I thank God that I you know, wasn't able to get everything I wanted as a kid. And I realized the generation before me got even less than I got. But if we just get it all too easy, we can tend to lose the appreciation. And I imagine Bartimaeus, with, with every shout down and with every rebuke, the desire got greater. The desire got greater. And I want, you, I want you to catch this church. Faith starts with desire. What are you desiring? If, if you say, I want a child, and then you never pray about it, you never ask about it, and you forget about it. I mean, when we stand up here and we share as a church, this is what we're going to do for the year. How, how dishonouring to the church if I get to the end of the year and say, I can't remember what I said. Yeah. I mean, that's dishonouring. And it's in the waiting that we get more and more passionate. It's in the waiting we get hungrier and hungrier for the things of God. The waiting can be some of the best things for us. And it can help us grow. Bartimaeus shouted all the more. And I would encourage you, we're necessary to shout all the more. Question, what is it that you desire? The Bible talks about two types of desire, evil desires and godly desires. God wants to give us the desires of our heart because he loves us. But he also wants to grow us in the process. I thank God that he never said yes to everything I asked for. I thank God that we never got the shopping centre at 308 Nelson Road. I thank God for that. That would have been a nightmare. I'm glad he didn't say yes to everything I asked for. So what are you desiring for? What are you desiring for 2013 and is it a godly desire or is it just something for your own pleasure you know the saddest thing for me when I think about some of the people we've prayed for 
people that just were barren and they just wanted a child. And we've had the privilege of being able to lay hands on people and pray for them to see husband and wife teams getting pregnant, having children, and we dedicate them and we give glory to God to find that they don't come to church anymore. We've got to be careful what we ask for. We've got to make sure that the desire remains red hot in us. Amen? So the first step of faith is desire. The second one is that we need to decide. Decision is faith operating your will. In James chapter 1, verse 6, it says, When he asks, he must believe and not doubt, because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That man should not think he'll receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all he does. What I love about this story, and many of you would have heard me refer to this, but bear with me. Jesus is walking on the road. He's heard the commotion. He sees this guy. He's shouting at the top of his voice. He says, come. And Jesus asks him an incredible question. Some might even say a stupid question, a dumb question, an obvious question. But what you need to understand about the question It wasn't about information. Jesus was not trying to get information. He was trying to go deeper than that. And he looks at this blind man, he says, what do you want? I imagine outspoken Peter is saying, Jesus, are you kidding me? The guy's blind. Stop, I mean, it's just ridiculous. Now, Jesus knew that. This was not a question about information. This was a deeper question. This was a question about what did he really want? What did he really want? What do you want me to do for you? I think behind the question he's saying, you know, I, I, I get the fact that you want to see, but what you need to understand about someone who receives their sight is your life is going to change. Up until now, you've been able to receive money through begging. You haven't had to go to work. You haven't had to get a job. You've been able to sit there, do nothing and beg and people have given you money. Are you prepared to give up that lifestyle? That's, what, that's the question Jesus is asking. If I heal you, are you going to get a job? Are you going to start leading yourself in life? You're going to get a wife and lead her or are you just going to bludge off her? What do you really want me to do for you? Because Jesus healing someone, that's the easiest part of this deal. The hardest part is getting an ex-beggar to stop begging. The hardest part is getting someone who's not been employable, getting them a job. There's some things that God will do for you and there's other things God expects you to do for yourself. And you have to decide. And only you can decide. So what do you want? What do you want me to do for you, Bartimaeus? Because sight's going to mean change. A change of location. You won't be able to sit on the roadside anymore. You're going to have to grow up. You're going to have to mature. You're not going to use the same old excuses anymore. It's amazing the excuses our kids used when they were younger that we tolerated that we don't tolerate anymore because they're older. It'll mean a change of job, no more begging. And I believe Jesus says, do you really want that? Do you really want that? 
We need to make absolute choices and break free from procrastination. It's a cop-out just to leave everything to God. So what are you desiring and what decisions are you making? These are the steps of faith. Desire, decide, and number three, declare. I love Bartimaeus' response. In verse 51, he says aloud. Everyone say aloud. He says aloud, I want to see. In other words, I've been dreaming about this day. I know the ramifications. I know the consequences. I'm sick to death of being a beggar. I want change. I want maturity. I want to do whatever it takes. I want my sight back so I can have my life back so I can get on with some things. And he spoke that aloud. James chapter 4 verse 2 says, You want something but don't get it. You kill and covet and cannot have what you don't want. You quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. Mark chapter 11, verse 23, I tell you the truth. If anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in heart, but believes and says it will happen, it will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you've received it and it will be yours. Here's the key. Hebrews 10, verse 23 says, if we let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. The word profess means to speak the same thing. You've got to catch this. This can ignite your faith right here. What we say aloud or what we say to ourselves is where our faith is at. In order for us to receive the promises of God, we've got to say what God is saying. That's what confession is all about. Confession and profession is saying the same thing as God. Much of what we call prayer is just communion with our worries. It's just us whinging to God. But the voice of faith says what God says. It's a confession of faith. If we do not agree with God, we can't walk with Him. Amos chapter 3, verse 3 says, If two do not walk together unless they be agreed. In Joel chapter 3, verse 10, it says, Let the weakling say, I am strong. We've got to say what God is saying about us. This series that we're doing in the mornings on Ephesians, I, I want to say, it, it may not be the most motivational series we've ever done. It may not be the sexiest series we've ever done. But I want to tell you, it's this series that I'm doing in the morning that has held me as a Christian Day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year. I've preached sexier messages. I've preached more motivational messages. I've heard more motivational messages. But the ones that hold me are the ones that I'm sharing in the morning because there's that foundation in the Word of God. And we need to be able to say what the Word of God says about us when we're going through good times and when we're going through tough times. We need to make sure that our profession, our confession of our faith is matching up with what God says about us. See, problems arise when we just start saying something that is contrary to what God is saying. It's not big-headed nor arrogant of me to say, I am a child of the Most High God. I am loved and I am precious. I am the apple of His eye. Because that's me just speaking out life according to what God says about me. 
But if all we're blurting and blunting is, I'm useless, I'm hopeless, I'm no good, nobody loves me, you never walk in faith. Alternatively, if you're just using your words to bring others down, you're not going to be able to overcome. Overcoming starts with saying what the Word of God says and we're going to start speaking life. We're going to start, the Bible says that we should pray for our politicians. We should pray for those who rule and lead over us. We should be praying for them and that takes faith to do it. It doesn't say pick on, run down, pull down your leaders. It says pray for them and pray in faith. And it's this, what we say is all important. What have you been saying lately? Who have you been talking to? What do those conversations look like? Have they had life in or are they full of death? Are they full of faith? How are you going? You know what? It's been probably the toughest week, toughest month, toughest year of my life, whatever it is for you. But you know what? I believe in the Word of God. I believe the Word of God does not change. I believe this and I believe that and I believe it. And we start confessing the Word of God. We don't just keep going on and on and on about how bad it is and how hard it is and, and how I've been hard done by. We've got to declare. And the last one is simply this. Verse 52, we've got to do. Immediately, Bartimaeus Follow Jesus. I love that. That's what Christianity is, essentially. It's not Jesus following us. It's us following Him. This is Christianity in a nutshell. We were going this way. Jesus is going that way. When we give our life to Jesus, we turn around. That's repentance, 180 degree turn around. And we start following Him. And that's what Bartimaeus did. He followed Jesus. He went where Jesus went. He said what Jesus said. He did what Jesus did. That's Christianity. And that takes faith. James chapter 2, verse 17, it says, In the same way, faith by itself, if not accompanied by action, is dead. Faith must be seen. Faith is a verb. You know, the Old Testament and the New Testament were written in different languages. But in the New Testament times, there were two types of, well, there's many types of thinking, but two main ones. And there was the Greek thinking. And the Greeks, they loved knowledge. And as long as you knew something, people were impressed. Regardless of what you did. In other words, you could be the best person to teach on parenting and be the worst parent, but it didn't matter. People were amazed and wowed by your intelligence. This is not the type of thinking that Jesus had in mind. The Hebrew thought was that you didn't really know anything until it was outworked in your life. And so until we see it outworked in your life, we're not going to take you seriously. I'm amazed how many Christians get taken off track and off point because somebody said. Because somebody did this and we don't stop and think about the fruit of one's life. Faith is an action. 
Faith is a doing word. And I want to encourage you to be people that don't give up, that don't give in. But be like Bartimaeus in this story. A man who had a deep desire to see, who made a decision, he knew exactly what he wanted and exactly what his decision would mean. He was able to declare it boldly and he was able to put it into practice. This is the faith walk. This is the faith journey. It's one day at a time. One foot in front of the other. Which means it may take some time to get where we're going, but we're getting there. One day at a time. One step at a time. What's your desire? What decisions are you making? What are you declaring over your life? What are you doing about it? This is the end of the message. Thank you for taking the time to listen, and God bless.